Everybody here this morning, I understand some of you barely made it. Flat tire? Partial flat tire. Well, it's nice to have you. Glad you, glad you made it safe and sound. I sure missed the singing the last several weeks together. And um, one of the things I love, there's lots of things I love about worship, but one of the things is the worship songs that we've been given this day and age. I mean, we can glean from the hymns of old and those rock-solid truths, but then also the more modern um, songs and contemporary worship songs where people just have put to great thought and great effort to remind us of theological truths. And I love how um, the different songs take us to different theological places, different theological truths that just remind us of all the promises and the depth of God's Word. So it's great to be here. It's great to sing God's truths with you. Um, It's great to learn God's Word together with you this morning. And I'm sure you know by now we are in the book of 2 Peter And so far, just even in the greeting, we were challenged to be spiritually humble, especially in any kind of position of leadership that God may have placed us in. And we've also been challenged with the idea of the importance of knowing God. And that theme will will be brought to us throughout this book. The absolute importance of knowing God. And there are tremendous benefits. It's absolutely crucial in a Christian life to, for us to always be understanding and knowing and grasping the person of God. And so Peter's going to challenge us with that. In this particular passage, he reminds us that God's, through the divine power, God's grace and God's peace actually is funneled or channeled to us through our efforts of putting our minds to knowing the character of the person and the plan of God. So in order to partake of that divine nature, in order to understand the Lord, in order to understand the Christian life and to have the power we need, that's how important knowledge is. And of course, it's not just academic knowledge. It's for the purpose of knowing the person. So we study the Word because the Word is the person. And I was reminded um, by Peter that God didn't just reveal himself. Like, let me just tell you about myself. Well, I've got blonde hair and blue eyes and I'm 6'6 and I like to play soccer or something. He gives us, of course, all that's not true, but he also in his revelation, as he shares his character and who he is, he makes promises to us. So it's not just, let me just tell you about myself, but it's, let me tell you about myself and how you are involved, how you exist, how you can find your greatest meaning, purpose, and joy. And let me share with you my plan, how you fit into it, how things are progressing along, and how the end will come, which the end of this world really is just the beginning of the next. So it's a book or a revelation that is very personable, and we can find ourselves in its pages. So already we've found very, very powerful truths that enable us. Peter would tell us that knowledge of these things, knowledge of God and the kingdom, is one of the tools that enables us to resist the temptation. It's the carrot on the end of the stick, the promises of God, 
that keep us going and give us the power to fight temptation. Well, today's text will inform us of not only uh, the need to grow, but it will also throw in a few warnings um, about what not to do and the possibility of not growing, the possibility of stumbling or completely stopping. And just for fun, and you'll understand towards the end of the sermon, but for just for fun, I've entitled um, the sermon Christian Floaties. It's in there somewhere, but you'll catch that meaning. So our verses for today in the book of First Peter are verses 5 through 11. And Peter is writing to the saints. And here's what he says. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And virtue with knowledge. And knowledge with self-control. And self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So this is one of those passages, you're reading scripture, and it's one of those make every effort passages. And whenever we come across these kind of passages, it's kind of, sometimes it just makes, makes me alert. Oh, so this is something I need to be putting energy in. And then it has a list, list of things to do in scripture. And sometimes that can be difficult, you know, all another list, another thing we got to do. God's requirements are so stringent, but... In order to, to properly understand the make every effort and, and, and put all diligence into this, we've got to kind of be careful and remember the words that come before it. Because the words that come before it are the foundation, the reason, the motivation of why it's so important for us to make every effort. And the words that come before make every effort are for this re- very reason. So there's a reason, a proper reason, a right reason, and we don't want to, for the wrong reason, make every effort. And the right reason to make every effort, we don't want to get these in reverse, in, in uh, the wrong order, it's very important. The, the very reason that we are to make every effort is, is what Peter has described Christ has done for us. Because Christ has given us divine power. Because of the gospel, because of the saving power of God, the transforming grace of God. Because, in other words, because of what Christ has done for you and is doing for you according to his power. Therefore, you can make every effort. So it's not a list of things 
that we have to accomplish in order to get God's power or in order to be approved by God or accepted by God or to obtain God's love. It's not something we do in order to obtain what we need to live the Christian life. It's something we do because God has gifted or brought to us the Christian life, the grace and the power that comes from heaven. And we can't miss that connection because if we do, then our Christian life becomes a list of things to do and works. This is how you please God. And when you fail in these areas, then you're you're not saved or you're not completely saved or whatever the thinking is behind that. So the foundation for anything that we do in the kingdom is based on not what we're doing for God, but what Christ has done for us. In Scripture, in all of these New Testament letters, you find that theme time and time again. And our natural tendency is to run off with the list and the works, the works righteousness, so I can tell God, well, I did this, this, and this. But it, that's not the point. It, all of that fruit is growing out of the gospel of grace. And not so we can... Because our natural tendency is to... What? <clears throat> it's to clean ourselves up, right? I remember when the gospel was shared to me with, with me, and I thought, well, uh, God doesn't want anything to do with me. Surely he, he knows my sins. He knows the kind of things I do. Why would he want anything to do with me? So in order to get God's attention, the thinking goes, if I clean my act up a little bit, then I'll have something to negotiate with him or something to get his attention. Hey, look, God, look at me now. Look, what I, look at the sins I've put behind me. Look at the good things I can do now. Now maybe I have some standing with you. And that is not how the gospel works at all. That's the flesh at work. That's human reasoning. That's bartering with God. The way the gospel works is that we are in the dark. We are completely undeserving, lost, even dead in sin. And there's nothing attractive about us other than the fact that we're created in the image of God. And he, he will redeem that through Christ. But as far as works and, and righteousness and good deeds, there's nothing Appealing to him. And so it's while we are in the mud, while we are in the dirt, while we are lost and blind, by grace and mercy, all on and from God, he comes to us and lifts us up. Completely undeserving. There's not a thing in us that is deserving of the saving grace of God. And yet he comes to sinners. He comes to us like that. And so that is the foundation of our entire relationship with God. It is grace-based. It's God's initiation, not ours. And based on God's initiation, well, it does something in us. And that's what Peter is getting at. Since God has already given his power to us. Now, if you believe God and trust him, that's what he's saying. He's already given Divine power, not even just like extra earthly muscles, earthly supplements, protein shakes and weights or whatever to, to get you through the day. This is divine power, something that you cannot get on your own no matter what you do. And since he's already given this and his incredible promises to you, not so that you can gain salvation but because 
He gave you or gifted you salvation. Now you can act in this way. You, your, your motivation and your desires and your inspiration for life, your purpose for life, changes along with that. So just like a lot of the songs that we sang this morning, they, they, they take us back to the cross. They take us back to the gospel. They take us back to our beginnings and what Christ has done for us. So we always have to go back. That way we don't get the wrong impression. Now, <clears throat> we're to make every effort in these virtues. In verse 10, if it's not to gain salvation or if it's not to clean ourselves up to a certain degree so God will finish the rest, then why is Peter even bringing this up? What's the importance of it? We find that in verse 10. So, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent, of course, because of the gospel, saving grace, all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. So what is the purpose if they're not to show God how good we are, how worthy we are? It gets down to it's showing God, it's showing really ourselves that our election is sure that God did call us, that we are in the kingdom, that we have indeed embraced the gospel of grace. Now, this is an interesting concept because this isn't something that we hear very often today as I think about this. So to get this straight, it's not to, so much to let God know, hey, I'm really saved. I really believe in you and trust in you. And I'm showing you through my actions. It's to make our calling our salvation or election sure for really our own sake. God wants us to have the assurance of salvation. And that comes through faith and it comes through not what we do for him, but what he does for us. But he knows that we're human. And down on an earthly level, there are other things that we can do to assure our hearts and our souls. Because all along... Uh, I don't know about you, but there has been doubt. There are doubts that creep in sometimes along the way. Is my salvation sure? I remember hearing a sermon during Bible college. It was actually at the church we attended there. And this pastor, boy, he, he hit it hard as far as what do you base your salvation on? And if it's based on anything other than what Christ has said, his truthfulness, his faithfulness... Your salvation experience may not have been genuine. Well, my salvation experience was pretty dramatic in the sense that I was a, I was a lost sinner. And I, I humbled myself and I asked, I confessed my sin and repented and asked Christ to come in. And it was day and night. He, he transformed my thinking. Doesn't mean that all of a sudden I'm this perfect citizen that you want your kids to be hanging around. It was... I have a totally new perspective on life. It was a day and night transformation. And along with that, my, my conversion experience was very emotional and dramatic in the sense that it felt different. I mean, my body physically and spiritually where the hymns say my chains fell off and, you know, the blinders fell off. I felt free. I literally felt like I was floating. But is, is that the assurance of my salvation? 
my experience or my emotion or it doesn't mean that didn't happen. But is that what I'm going to base my salvation? God, you need to let me into heaven because of all the tingly feelings I had way back in whatever year it was. That's not the assurance of our salvation. So on earth, right, on a real gut level basis, uh, we want to know, is there something that I can see other than the faith? And Peter says the way that you make that election, that calling sure, the way it's one of the ways it's confirmed is this. It's your actions. What are you making every effort towards? How are you living your life? Where is God in your life and where is the godliness in your life? So whereas uh, in, in my early years as a Christian, I was often encouraged when you get, and I, obviously I didn't do this, and so I can't even tell you what day, what year I was, um, what it was when I got saved. But a lot of pastors or Christians will tell you, if the day you got saved, write it in your Bible. Then you have a written record and you can always go back to that. And in a sense, that's an insurance. Well, yeah, I'm saved because I'm not so sure based on the life I'm living now. And then someone would encourage, well, yeah, but look at your Bible. Look at the, look, see that date, see that year. Five years ago, you came forward and you bowed the knee to Christ. Therefore, you're saved. Peter's not telling the saints to do that. Isn't that interesting? He's not saying, remember the day of your salvation. He's not saying, remember the tingly feelings or look back in your scrolls. Where you inscribed your experience. He's saying here's how you make your election confirmed. Here's how you can know. And be assured of the saving grace of God. That the spirit is in you. It's because you will be doing these things. You will find yourself wanting, striving, fighting to do these particular things. Things. It's an overcoming of the darkness. It's an overcoming of the sin. That is a confirmation of the work of grace. John Piper says, There's a world of difference in a marriage where the husband doubts the love of his wife and he labors to earn it. And a marriage where the husband rests in the certainty of his wife's love and takes pains joyfully not to live unworthily of it. So now in the confidence of that power, take pains not to live unworthily of God's love. So I kind of preached the point before I named the point, but we'll call that point one. <clears throat> spiritual growth, this particular kind of spiritual growth confirms our calling. And it takes place in the security of God's gift of love. We're not trying to earn God's love in doing these things. The gospel tells, it, tells us Christ already gained that for you. He removed those obstacles, those offenses. He who is just, the just one has done this. And it's based on what he has already done that we didn't deserve. That's the motivation. Behind it, the fever's motivation to to serve him. It's not. Um, again, it's not gaining these things. 
So we confirm our salvation. Now that's more challenging than if somebody's wondering, am I saved or how can I know I'm saved? Rather than me pointing you back to a year, ten, a day 10 years ago when you had a dramatic experience, Peter's saying, look at your life right now. Right now, today. This is a powerful way to understand your, your confirm, your confirmed call. You know, what are you doing? You're, you're not meriting this, but are you humbly receiving the favor and the grace of God? Because as you know, that grace of God, the fact of what Christ did for us, when we deserve the exact opposite, what does it do? That truth humbles and softens a hard heart, a proud heart. And the gospel gets in there and it just kneads on that hard heart, that sinful heart. And it just, it just kind of manipulates and, and moves and softens. And the next thing you know, you, you get to the point where you desire godliness now because you love him and you realize what he's done for you. You want to do something for him. Again, it's out of a basis of gratitude. So the gospel of grace wins our hearts over. And it doesn't mean all of a sudden we're perfect. We're going to do everything right. But we're striving. It might be that, well, the first step is, I don't want to sin anymore, but I'm still doing it. But I don't want to. Before the gospel, I just took great delight in it and could care less about it. But now I'm very aware. And it's pricking my conscience. So it's the Holy Spirit that is at work. Grace softens and transforms our heart. And it's our response to God's saving grace. That's what this is. It confirms our call. So back in the days of the Reformation, uh, Luther, Calvin, Zwingli, they all emphasized the fact that you are justified by grace through faith alone. That's it. Justification Christ does that for us. Sanctification is a joint effort. So once you're justified, the way you make yourself holy is a joint effort between the Holy Spirit working with us and using our God-given faculties to work with Him. So they would say, while you are saved by faith alone, you're not saved by faith that remains alone. And what they mean by that is, when you are saved by faith alone, there will other things will accompany that genuine transformation. And it will be the works of godliness. Because true faith changes lives. It, it helps us or forces us to come to grips with who we are as a person. And why we think the way we do. And, and, and our, our, not just temptations, but our choices to sin. Our choice is to be a part of the problem that we despise, which is all the bad and evil people out there messing my good world up. And the gospel helps us see, well, actually, we play a part in that as it softens us, comes to terms with that. So it's out of great gratitude. And Peter's just encouraging the saints. I don't know what initiated this encouragement. 
But he's saying make every effort to do these things. Why? Because that's where that confirmation comes. So it's not just a matter of maybe barely making it to the end. In or barely making it into heaven. It's a matter of were you ever even saved to begin with. That's why this is important. That's where the assurance of salvation comes from. If there's no... If my salvation is only based on an emotional moment at church, then I don't have, that's not confirmation. This is confirmation. It's concrete. It's, it's visceral. So that's how we can learn. So we might think of it like this. God's power, His divine power has granted us everything we need to grow in godliness. You know, there's a lot of different beliefs in churches, but one thing that every Bible-believing or Orthodox Christian church believes is that when you get saved, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, literally comes in and lives in you. And that's why Jesus talks so much about remaining in Christ and abiding in Christ. It's because the Holy Spirit inhabits us. And Paul says, don't you know that you yourselves are the temple of God? I mean, it's a crazy, mysterious truth that takes place within Christianity. Very unique thing. But because now that's how we partake of the divine nature. Because the divine nature is in us. And a part of us. And, and because we have a part of heaven, if you will, a part of God, if you will, the third person of the Trinity living in us, something going to happen. Because if he wasn't there before, and now the Spirit is there, something is going to happen. Something's going to give. And that's the idea behind this confirmation. It's, it's, in other words, when the Spirit comes in, things have changed. It's almost like your DNA how your DNA just kind of works things out as you progress and grow and mature in life. There, there are things that you, can, you, you know they're going to happen sooner or later based on your DNA. Well, when the Holy Spirit comes into us, you know things are going to happen sooner or later based on the character of God and the plan and the mission of God in our hearts. It's a destiny. It's promise, if you will. So we have what we need to become what God has destined us to be because the Holy Spirit lives in us. The divine power lives in us. And that's wonderful news. But practically, to, to apply or digest that, it means two, at least two things. I'll point out two things it means. So first of all, if this is true, then when it gets right down to it, there are no excuses. Right? There are no excuses to not grow in Christ. If, if the Holy Spirit of God lives in me. And he has brought the, the enabling power. The fellowship too. The friendship. The, uh, the, you know, the family mindset. Kingdom mindset. He has brought that into me. Even in a small degree then the Scripture is telling us that we already have what we need. We don't have to wait for it. We already have what we need, which is transcribed into, well, then 
I guess that means if I'm not growing, I don't have an excuse. Because Peter could equally say, what more could you possibly want or ask for when it comes to kingdom growth when you have the king? It kind of puts me in my place. Yeah, that's um, one way to look at it. It's not the way I always look at it. I'm kind of over here trying to make excuses why I'm not growing. And I've got plenty of them. Of them, of them, of them. And Peter just comes and says, you have everything you need. God gave it to you pertaining to life and godliness. Christ is in you. There is nothing missing. He is the hope of glory. He is working his plan out in you as we speak. So we can't wiggle our way out or explain our way out or excuse our way out of ungodly living. That's one thing I think this means. And on the other hand, the other thing it means is that if that's true and we already have what we need and God is working in us, then we have hope. That no matter who we are, no matter what our habits are, we can change. We are not stuck in ruts of sin. You see how it works both ways? We don't have an excuse, but because we don't have an excuse, no matter how broken we are, the Spirit of God can heal us. No matter how addicted we are, the Spirit of God gives us hope and power to overcome these things and to free us from these things. That's what Christ indeed has come to do to free us spiritually. So we're not in bondage to our own selfishness and the opposite of these characteristics that we're reading about in Second Peter. The Christian life gives us hope. Now, on a practical basis, I'll add to that. If you think about worldviews today and one of which is atheism, or there, there is no God. There's nothing else out there. There's no superpower, no matter if you think it's some kind of green being or aliens or whatever God or the gods. If we lived in a closed universe, then this is all we have, and you are absolutely stuck with the life you've been given and the life you've made for yourself, period. There's no rescuer. There's no savior coming. This is it. it it's fatalism. Get used to it. That's not what the gospel says. The gospel instills hope in us and say, oh no, this is not all there is. Who you are today is not all you will be. Your desires will change. Your vision of beauty will change. The colors in your life, your emotions will change because God lives in you. And this is just one part speck on, on the, the line, the continuum of what God has for his people in this world, in this earth and creation as it is all made new. You don't, you don't get to live in both. It's one or the other. And Peter is encouraging the saints to put their faith in God and to look at the cross and the grace and therefore make every effort to confirm this manifestation of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Therefore, we make what kind of effort to add to or supplement? Well, we think about these things. Our faith, it needs to be growing. 
And then you add to that virtue or moral excellence. Goodness. And then you, you, you want to add more knowledge to the mix. And then along with that, self-control. And then stad, steadfastness. And then godliness. And then brotherly affection. Friendships. Relationships. Among each other. And then love. So he begins with faith and ends with love, which we find that pattern also in New Testament writings a lot. You begin with faith. It's like the sum end. When the Spirit comes in, the sum end is going to be that we obey by the power of God the greatest commandments. Loving God with all our heart, mind, and soul and loving our neighbor as ourself. So if we think about these as confirmation. To our calling. This is how we can make our election sure. Before we beat ourselves up too much. Or perhaps even worse. Kind of looking to the left or right. Or, I don't know if that's true. I'm not so sure that people in this church are saved. Because I am not seeing these characteristics. Before we jump to any conclusions. Let me just point out. That spiritual growth takes time. It's not something you're going to hear one sermon or have one experience and you got it. You nailed it. You're godly. And fortunately, Scripture teaches this as well, right? The kingdom of God, out of Jesus' the king's own mouth, it's slow and steady. It's like that yeast. Slow and steady. And the reason I bring this up is because... We are an impatient people. Uh, I am a very impatient person. I confess that. And it manifests itself every day in my life. I cannot, I just don't like to wait for things. Um, But anyway, we are an impatient culture. So I'm not the only one. I may be one of the worst, but I'm not the only one. And I recently read... If I can find it. I recently read that America is the most impatient culture to ever exist in the history of mankind. And that's probably true. Because impatient, you know, these things can are affected by cultural thinking. Evil and good is affected by cultural thinking. The most impatient culture. And I think, so you got yesterday's iPhone. And the new one is three seconds faster than the old one. So you got to throw the old one out and get the new one, right? Or a computer. Anything that gives us what we want faster right now. We ditch the old stuff for the new stuff. It's, now it's consumerism. And it works on us. Because we are, we want it and we want it now. We think we deserve it now. That's a whole other topic. But it, it comes to play with our spiritual growth. Now, of course, I could get into the whole topic of parenting. Children, why aren't you just perfect? Let me just tell you the goal of my parenting. For you to be the perfect child and to make me proud. So just get on with it. And let's forget all the punishing and all this other stuff. Right? Patience. It's worked out slowly, but surely. 
And we have examples in scriptures about, you know, you have the meat, the, the milk. You start out with the milk. But you want to work your way to the meat. But even when you think about when Peter talks about the spiritual milk, drinking that, you, you can't grow but so fast, right? Even if you use the analogy that Scripture gives us. You can take that baby and you realize, okay, so milk will grow this baby, right? Well, I'm just going to get a bottle this big and that child can just drink that spiritual milk all day. And then I don't have to wait for the toddler age and stuff. That, to- that child will just mature instantly, right? Of course not. No matter, there are limits to how fast, even on the natural continuum, there are limits how fast our bodies can grow, even with scriptural examples. So give the bottle, the, extra, the baby, the extra big bottle, and might be a little heavier, chunkier than other children like that, but it's just not going to be, you're not going to wake up next morning, oh, you're, five, you, you're as big as a five-year-old now. And you can let your babies listen to all the uh, Einstein music, I think it is. And they're not going to wake up one morning. Oh, you can do trigonometry now. This is wonderful. This really works. You give them all the protein supplements or whatever. They're not going to be playing the NFL at 10 years old. These things might help. But the the idea, of course, is that real, true kingdom growth. Sure, there's little spurt growths, right? Hey, kids walk in here all the time and their pants are way too short. What happened? It's a growth spurt, you know? And so we have growth spurts, but even within that, it just takes time. So we want to keep that in mind. Uh, Timothy Keller said, Americans overestimate what they can get done in a year and underestimate what they can get done in five years. And I don't know where he comes up with this stuff, but it sounds catchy. It sounds good. So I can see myself wanting when you want think when you're impatient, you want things done now, you have this list and you forget about a five year plan because you want it done right now. So think of this spiritual growth in terms of it takes time. But the second point is, even though it takes time, what we can't do, the warning is you can't stop. You can't you can't put it in neutral. Not the way the world is right now. It will change someday, but the way the world is right now, there is tremendous pressure to be one or the other. The Holy Spirit guides us and, and yes, pressures us in grace and, and gentleness to be godly. But the enemy and the flesh is pressuring us in the exact opposite direction to not be godly, but to indulge in sin. So this is how we should live these eight things. And it's an urgency there. I think we, we sense that in Peter's word. This word's the urgency is basically if you want your, confirm, your, your election to be confirmed, your salvation to be confirmed, don't stop. Because as you're seeking God in this way, that's how you always know when you're not going to fall. You, you can't afford to float. You can't afford to just stop seeking God. To say, I'm going to take a break from Christianity? Because if you, at that point, you aren't just staying where you were when you made that decision. You are going in the opposite direction. That's the way the world is designed right now. So there's this urgency there. Keep going. Keep growing. 
Be diligent. Make every effort for these things. Be more self-controlled. Be more steadfast. So in other words, swim, don't float. And there's your Christian floaties. We always need to be moving towards God and towards these. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent, he says, lest you float away. You stop, you begin the process of falling. So I, I remember reading a story one time. It actually was a true story. It was about like great rescues or something where a couple had gone, they, they owned a boat, and they took their boat out on the, um, the coast of Florida and out into the ocean. And they were fishing. Uh, the wife decided to take a swim. She jumps into the water. There was a very, very strong current at that time. It had something to do with the tide. So she thought she was going to jump in and take a nice swim and get back on the boat. She jumps in and she's drifting away in this current. She screams and hollers at her husband, help me, help me. And he impulsively, he dives in to help her. And then he quickly realizes, whoa, this current is really strong. I didn't expect this. So the, the, the current was so strong that the husband knew that there was no way that they could both swim back to the boat together. They could not make it together. And he was a very good swimmer. And she, not, she was just an average swimmer. So he comes up with this plan and he says, look, you can't make it back to the boat. I think I can. So I'm going to fight this current and I'm going to get back to the boat. You don't fight it. Just keep your head up and, and, and just go with the current. And so after many, many hours, he finally makes it back to the boat. And he gets in the boat and he's frantically searching for his wife everywhere. And hours go by and he calls SOS and they call, finally they get a search team in. And the next morning, they find his wife. He fears the worst. They find his wife 20 miles away. So it's a great rescue story. But that's not the point I want to emphasize. The point I want to emphasize is that there's a current. You know, the jet stream, there, there are currents in the sky in real life and in the water in real life and in this world in real life. And there's strong currents. And I think that's what Peter's getting at. If, if we just, if we're not doing something, and I, I know there's be still and know that I am God. That's doing something because you're knowing that he's God. But if we are not actively pursuing, that means we, don't, we, we can't pace ourselves. Sure, pace yourself. Don't burn yourself out, so to speak. But if we're not active, we have to understand you don't float as a Christian. You can't put your floaties on and say, that's it. That's the warning. There's a danger in the Christian floaty concept of stumbling and falling and becoming blind. So blind, in fact, you lose ground that you lose what came behind you, the gospel of grace. And then you lose why you're even fighting and swimming so hard to begin with. And you have Christians that come to this point and they think, wait a minute, why am I doing this? This is totally countercultural. I'm taking heat for this. I'm missing out on joys, fun things for doing this. Why am I doing this? 
And you're blinded. You lost sight of what's behind you and you lost sight of what God has in your near future and affects us. And that we cannot afford. So quickly as we close, I think the, uh, the application is really, really obvious. And we have to look at this list and it gives us something to engage our minds in all week. How are we doing? The inspired Word of God specifically lists these things. How are we doing? What is, where's the effort in our lives going? Our values, our priorities. How are we doing in this? This adding to and this supplement. So I think that's by God's grace and goodness to us. He's giving our church family something to ponder, something to think about, something to be focused on this particular week in the strong current of a world that we live in. And that's building on the rock. May God bless the preaching of His Word.